0: Tonight on Metro Focus, special edition, Finding Faith, will take you to a united palace in Washington Heights, where patrons preach with an open heart, bridging the divide between religion and tradition with frank, honest, and raw conversations. And from religious melting pot to a city of gods, Queens is known as the birthplace of American religious freedom. Find out why and which neighborhood in the borough is the most diverse in the nation, then, losing their religion. Is it possible for millennials to put down their phones, disconnect, and actually be fulfilled? We go in search of spirituality in a digital age, plus portraits of faith. So come on a global journey of spirituality that examines the human experience. Those stories and more as Metro Focus starts right now.
1: This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin.
2: The United Palace of Spiritual Arts, a venerable Manhattan venue, created a monthly forum called Open Heart Conversations, whose mission is to help New Yorkers come together and foster respect, tolerance, and human connection. A tall order at a time when divisions are rampant throughout the country and where increasingly opponents are seen as enemies. The concrete goal of these unique conversations is for participants to learn about the different faith and wisdom traditions that are found right here within our own community. Traditions such as Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and African spirituality, among many others. And joining us now to talk about open heart conversations is the spiritual director of the United Palace, Heather Shea. Heather, welcome to the program. Thank
3: you. It's wonderful being here. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: So, Heather, before we get into the open heart conversations, I wonder if you could talk. A little bit about the united palace um what is it where is it and how did it begin
3: for sure. the united palace is one of the wonder theaters those great legendary movie theaters that was developed back in 1929 it was built as a vaudeville house and a movie theater and then uh in the late 60s because people moved to the suburb and started watching television people weren't going to the movies quite as much mm-hmm. and so at that point wherever Ike's church bought and turned it into Reverend Ike, Reverend Ike yes. yes. And turned it into a spiritual center as well as an entertainment center. So today we continue the tradition of having movies, arts, education, as well as church on Sunday. And as you mentioned, the Open Heart Conversations. And you had mentioned also the, the United Palace is on 176th and Broadway, so it is in Washington Heights. And many New Yorkers really haven't spent time coming up yeah. to Washington Heights, but get on the A train, come on up.
2: Let's turn to Open Heart, uh, Open Heart Conversations. Uh, could you elaborate on? on the, the brief description that I, that I gave it at the
1: Sure, sure.
3: It's a monthly forum where we get together to discuss and explore the great religions of the world and also world traditions. We like to have people uh, celebrate, participate, get a little understanding because people may not be as exposed to other traditions. So, for example, we recently had Swami Shadamanda come to talk about Hinduism. And as part of that, he explained a little bit about Hinduism. And then we did a meditation and participated in a Karatan music call and response. So it's just a little opportunity for people to get an insight. They might want to learn more about a particular religion.
2: But beyond learning more about uh, the religions, I mean, the thing that that grabs me, captures me is the end goal. Of wanting to, to to help foster and develop compassion, tolerance, understanding uh, yep. among the participants, right? But but it just strikes me, I mean it kind of makes me sad to, to think about that goal at a time where we're living yep. it. You know, as I said in the introduction, we kinda hate each other's guts. And far from having wanting wanting to have conversations, we want to shut people down. We want to shut them up. Is this a propitious
3: time? To, for, FOR YOUR ENDEAVORS? ABSOLUTELY. And, AND WHAT'S GREAT ABOUT OUR ENDEAVORS IS THAT PEOPLE COME IN THE DOOR, AND ONE OF OUR LAST PROGRAMS WAS ABOUT JUDAISM, AND IT WAS during THE HARVEST FESTIVAL, AND WE HAD THE RABBI uh, Amakai ROLLED OUT THE TORAH. AND SO WE HAVE PEOPLE, ABOUT 100 OR MORE PEOPLE, HOLDING ON TO THE TORAH OF DIFFERENT mm-hmm. RACES, RELIGIONS, BACKGROUNDS, mm-hmm. ALL SINGING AND CHANTING TOGETHER. AND AFTERWARDS SOMEBODY CAME AND SAID, THIS IS AMAZING, THIS IS REALLY ABOUT COMMUNITY. THIS IS ABOUT HUMANITY. Mm-hmm. SO IT'S AN EXPLORATION. AND WE BELIEVE THAT WE'RE ALL CONNECTED TO THE DIVINE SPIRIT IN SOME WAY, WHETHER YOU CALL IT GOD, GODDESS, THE d- d- SUPREME BEING, um, WHATEVER THAT IS. AND THERE'S DIFFERENT PATHWAYS. Mm-hmm. AND PEOPLE WOULD CHOOSE A DIFFERENT PATHWAY OR A DIFFERENT TRADITION. AND THEY SOMETIMES THINK, MINE IS THE RIGHT WAY OR THE ONLY WAY. AND WE'RE SAYING, COME EXPLORE OTHERS. Mm-hmm. You might." Like a little bit of it, you'd like to know more about it. But you choose your own path, and we'll just and, make other and, ones. And what if we
2: don't have any spiritual faith? Is this still for us?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think we're all human. We, in fact, we all are human, and we're all interested in community. And especially these days, where people are looking for, what's a community I can be a part of? And we're very much a community. We're a congregation. Mm-hmm. We have services. We have uh, shows. We have main live entertainment. We have movies. So, Talk about know. that. Talk about that.
2: You know, all yep. the things that you have, actually, I didn't know until we were talking about it a little earlier. Yeah,
3: well, actually, it started, uh, we've been a movie theater since 1929, and it was maybe four or five years ago that one of our neighbors, Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, of Hamilton, oh, yeah, sure. uh, was talking to our executive producer, saying, you know, this is a classic movie theater, why don't we start it again? And mm-hmm. so he helped us launch the movie series, so every month or so, or more than once a month, we have a classic mm-hmm. m- movie. And we have the last single-screen major movie theater in New York City. Mm-hmm.
2: How do you keep the conversations going beyond the palace? And, and what happens if we don't keep yeah. the conversation yeah. well, going? Well,
3: part of our philosophy mm-hmm. is, and it's actually designed into the building, when you walk into the building, you know that something's different. And that's the way Thomas Lamb designed it, is that during the time, back in the 1920s, when people were depressed or there was a lot going on, mm-hmm. you walk into this building, and all of a sudden you're in a palace, and it's magnificent, and you fill up with this joy, and this joy, and so you're coming in and up, and as you experience, whether it's a show, a service, a community activity, by the time you go out in the streets, something's different about you. Oh. Mm. And if you get that aliveness, if you get that awareness that you're wonderful and the other people that you may not normally associate with are wonderful, it gives you a different mm. point of view. Well, so, it
2: sounds very good, Heather. It sounds you. very seductive. I might drop up there. Someday. Oh, please do. We
3: invite you. And and it's, as we sometimes call it, the best kept secret in New York because people they don't always know that it's there. And once uh-huh. they come in, they go, I've lived here my whole life, <laughs> right. and I never knew the United yeah, Palace was that's right That's pretty here. much what
2: I said to you yeah. earlier. It's
3: easy to get to. People think well, it's <laughs> hard to get to. very varies on the subway, the sure. bus.
2: Well, thank you so much, Heather, and thank you so much for joining
3: us today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a delight. Thank you.
2: Known locally as the birthplace of American religious freedom, The neighborhood of Flushing, Queens is now so diverse that it has become a microcosm of world religions. According to census statistics, Queens itself is now the most ethnically diverse county in the nation. And as far as religious diversity is concerned, in Flushing alone, which stretches no more than 2.5 square miles, there are currently nearly 200 different places of worship. In his book *City of Gods*, author R. Scott Hanson documents the dozens of temples, mosques, churches, and synagogues that dominate the Flushing skyline and the religious communities that call this New York enclave home. Professor Hanson joins us now. Professor, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Right so, here. Professor, I wonder if you could elaborate just how religiously diverse is Flushing Queens?
1: Right. Well, as you noted, there are over 200 different places of worship in less than two and a half square miles densely concentrated in this, you know, diverse uh, residential and commercial district. And, uh, you know, there are uh, six Hindu temples, several mosques, uh, synagogues, um, Buddhist temples, uh, over uh, 100 Korean churches alone, uh, and some of the the oldest uh, other churches and synagogues in the city.
2: Immigration is what's driving. the Immigration and the immigrants that, that have found residence in Flushing is what drives is religious pluralism. But let me ask you, is this religious pluralism that you find in Flushing, is it, is it like a quilt where each religion is like a distinct piece sitting next to a different distinct piece, or is it more like a melting pot where each religion keeps its, its flavor but, but unite to form a more tasty stew? <laughs> Yeah, there's so many metaphors for diverse,
1: yeah, right. diversity in American life. I use the most hackneyed <laughs> ones. <laughs> right. Um, the, the melting pot's really common. Um, I, I like to think of it more as a mosaic or a, a, a patchwork or a symphony even. Um, uh, but in Flushing, you, you, you do see various ethnic enclaves or parts that are more Korean or Chinese mm. or, or Indian. Um, but it's, because it's New York and, and there's not much space, people do mix quite a bit. In, yeah. uh, in, Increasingly in so. Increasingly so.
2: They do. Yeah. And they, I guess, with, you know, second generation
1: and third generation, probably even more. Right. They bump into each other on the on the subway and the elevator yeah, sure, and sure. so on. And so um, they may not, you know, interact a, a great deal always, but at least they tolerate and are aware of each other. You know, as
2: you are right, the famous theologian, uh, Jesuit theologian, uh, John Courtney Murray once asked how much pluralism and what kind of pluralism can a pluralist society stand? Right. How does the flushing experience help answer that question?
1: Murray wrote at a very different time in 1960, um, when you know, at the time the country was largely Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, white, and black, mm-hmm. uh, and he was tapped to work on Vatican II the, and the changing the, how the Catholic Church viewed religious pluralism itself. Um, so he asked the question that question that you formulated in, in a. At a very different time different different circumstances but i think it's more relevant today in, uh, in, a, in a place like flushing and also in uh, increasing religious diversity in america too uh, and so what i've learned in studying flushing for many years is that uh, any community like flushing uh, and elsewhere around the country can accommodate and absorb a tremendous amount uh, of religious diversity uh and and still turn out okay you know there are growing pains Um, parking is an issue on on the weekends (laughs) you might imagine when people come to shop and worship and so on Um, it's probably one of the biggest issues Um, there are social limits I said you know New Yorkers like their privacy right they 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 may be aware of others and but they they still want their privacy and they may not always interact in meaningful ways there are certainly exceptions many people Mm -hmm. enjoy um, meeting people from different uh, religions and and cultures and so forth right Mm there are also, um, you know, limits of of race and ethnicity. There are parts of Flushing are segregated. There are, uh, you know, ethnic enclaves, like we just spoke about. Um, and there, there are theological limits as well. Yeah. Some people are not interested in speaking to a Muslim uh, if they are an evangelical you know, or fundamentalist Christian. Uh, they would rather convert them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so th- those are some of the, the limits. But The good news is that that people can live together in in civil coexistence.
2: You know, as world history has taught us, unfortunately, diverse places, even as diverse, maybe not quite as diverse as Flushing, Queens, but with a great deal of religious diversity, can turn into its
1: opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that happen and how do we avoid it? I think places that are just beginning to experience rapid demographic change, um, are, are the ones that are most afraid of the other and and of religious difference and ethnic difference. Uh, you, you saw parts of the country um, that voted overwhelmingly for President Trump uh, that were characterized to some extent by, by that, that nature, that, mm-hmm. that this kind of loss uh, or nostalgia for kind of a, a circa 1940s, early 50s, white, Protestant America that, mm-hmm. that is that is changing. And in fact, President Trump himself is from Queens, ironically, <laughs> um, and wouldn't recognize it, I think, in some ways today, um, might be afraid of that that diversity in some mm-hmm. ways. But that's actually what makes America great again, diversity and immigration.
2: All right. Well, Professor, uh, your book is The City of God's Religious Freedom, Immigration, and Pluralism in Flushing, Queens. It's a great read, especially For this day and age. Thank Thank you you so much. much, Professor. Thanks for having me. For many Jewish New Yorkers, the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are a time for prayer, reflection, and family. But how can the wisdom of the Torah and the Jewish sages guide the lives of those who are today enmeshed in a frenzied and disconnected society that's warping all the core values? That's the question that Rabbi Mark Wilds, the founder and director of the Manhattan Jewish Experience, attempts to answer in his book, Beyond the Instant, Jewish Wisdom for Lasting Happiness in a Fast-Paced Social Media World. He joins us now. Rabbi, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having So, Rabbi, as you point out in your book, in this country and basically in all developed countries around the world, uh, we have more comfort, more freedom, more of everything that money can buy just about, yet we are more depressed and more anxious than ever before. How do you explain that?
4: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's the reason I wrote the book. Uh, Money and affluence, financial security are all important things, but all the studies show that they are not factors. They're not determining factors in happiness. Provided you have your basics, food, shelter, clothing, those types of things are not going to provide happiness beyond the instant. What will provide happiness beyond the instant are values, Mm -hmm. a value-driven life that has purpose and meaning. All the studies demonstrate, and this is what Judaism has been teaching for centuries, is that if you live a life based on certain values and you focus on those values, uh, one of which I start the book off by talking about giving, Mm -hmm. In prosperous, more developed societies, we tend to focus more on ourselves, Mm -hmm. more on our own professional advancement, Mm -hmm. and yet giving and doing for others actually produces more long-lasting contentment and happiness, and that's why you're not going to necessarily see happiness flourishing more in a more developed, prosperous country. Now, you talk about the values and the values that
2: come from uh, traditional religious beliefs. But you also write about how we become skeptical of religious yeah. beliefs in our age. But you know, in an age where religion is, is used as an excuse for terrorism or as a cover for sexual predation, just to cite two very awful examples that we're familiar yeah. with,
4: doesn't it make sense to be skeptical of religion? You know, we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, there are a lot of reasons to hate religion today. You just mentioned two of them. There's more bloodshed in the name of Allah, God, however you want to refer to the Almighty. Um, And the other example you just gave, they're they're true. I I can't deny that. But I also can't deny that religion has promoted values for centuries that have kept people not only happy, but productive. Um, And there are actually, unfortunately, has been more bloodshed in the 20th century, not due to religion, due to other forces. But if you strip down what religion is supposed to give, it's supposed to give eternal values. And you raised a very important point, which is how do you do that if everyone everyone is skeptical? We don't believe in objective morality anymore. And what I'm trying to argue in the book is that we need to go back and we need to ascertain that there are certain truths. Mm -hmm. There are certain right and wrongs. And when we can embrace those, And we can live our lives accordingly, we will be happier. Mm -hmm. One of the studies that I demonstrate in the book uh, was Rosetta, Pennsylvania, the most studied town in the United States. In the 1950s, they had less than half the rate of heart disease of the rest of the nation. Mm -hmm. There was no suicide, there was no alcoholism, alcoholism, there was no drug addiction, um, nobody was on welfare, very little crime. It was a very boring place to live. Mm -hmm. And they, they discovered something very, very simple. Rosetta, Pennsylvania was settled by Italian immigrants from southern Italy, a place called Rosetta, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they brought with them a tremendous sense of values and community. Mm -hmm. And they would stop to each other and talk to each other on the street in Italian. Everybody attended mass every Sunday there. They all went to church. They counted 22 civic organizations Mm -hmm. in a population less than 2,000, which means everybody was volunteering. Everybody was praying, and everybody was looking out for each other, and they were happier. So, so what do you say? I'm sure you've heard it.
2: People tell you, you know, Rabbi, I, I want to believe what you say. I want to believe, mm-hmm. first of all. I want to give of myself more than I ever have. I want to connect myself to something greater than myself, but I just can't do it. I can't change.
4: So I have a chapter devoted to that, uh, the power of change. Uh, If Judaism stands for anything, it's all about change. Why go and pray if you can't change? Why go for therapy? I like to quote my favorite Jewish philosopher, Maimonides. He was grappling with the predeterminists, the extreme astrologists who believed everything was in the stars and you couldn't shape your own fate, your own destiny. And we believe you can. You can change. Just take baby steps. Don't try to do everything overnight. And we have a very important principle in Judaism that after one's behavior follows the heart, you don't have to be feeling everything. Just perform an act of kindness, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. The more right things a person does, the more we develop, the more we're shaped. And, you know, it's just a question of taking one little step. Well,
2: Rabbi, the book is Beyond the Instant. Jewish Wisdom for Lasting Happiness in a fast paced Social Media World. And as I told you in a private conversation, uh, the book already <laughs> affected me profoundly. Thank you so much.
4: It's really an honor, pleasure. Thank you.
2: What role do organized religions play in the lives of human beings? Did they, by their very nature, divide us rather than unite us, all too often turning the unbeliever into an infidel and a threat? Or are the commonalities of different faith expressions ultimately greater and more fundamental than the differences? The documentary Sacred, which took more than 40 film crews to 25 countries and was two years in the making, provides a hopeful answer to that question. Here's a preview.
1: Learning about God made me mad about all the things I did in my life, the sins I committed. You just be like, man, it gotta be something better. It <laughs> gotta be something better. <laughs> be needing footsteps in the
3: sand. <laughs>
2: And joining us now to talk about it are Dr. Bill Baker, one of the film's executive producers, and Tom Lennon, the film's director and producer. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. As I made clear in the introduction, Bill, this is truly a film of epic proportions. How did the idea of it come to be?
5: Well, it's a really interesting story that involves the beginning of this film and that is one of our board members, one of the Channel 13 board members, a man by the name of George O'Neill, uh, who was retiring, and he's still, he's, he's still alive, still with us. And uh, when I retired, he said, I want to give you a large gift, my wife and I, uh, Abby, want to give you a large gift for a project that you want to do. And I thought about it, and I, I had made other significant movies on, the, on faith subjects, and I thought, I want to do a big global film on faith. Uh, And and let me tell you why. Uh, First, as you said in your introduction, often religion uh, gets blamed for a lot of the problems in this world, rightly so. However, of the seven and a half billion people in this world, six billion of them have faith. (laughs) So it must mean something. It's the way many of us get through life. It gives us a centering of uh, values. Uh, it gives us a, a chance to kind of orient ourselves to uh, communicating with the, 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 about the meaning of life. And, uh, and so for me, uh, uh, trying to deal with that in the most positive way was my dream. And I had originally started thinking about sacred places and a bunch of other things. Finally, when it came to it, and we had to, I had to work really hard at raising quite a bit of money to make the film, I realized I didn't have the skill to do it. So I needed somebody that did, hence (laughs) (laughs) your other guest, (laughs) Tom Lennon, uh, who really is a gifted filmmaker, who helped take that original dream and idea and vision, and he really made it sing. (laughs) And then I had taught for a long time, as you know, at uh, the Juilliard School, and one of our uh, top composers at Juilliard did the music for the film, a man by the name of Ed Billows. So uh, we had quite an experience here in this multi-year event.
6: Can I ask you a question, Rafael? Do you know any other person who gets approached by a friend and says, I want to make a gift of substantial <laughs> money for you to do whatever you want. No, and, yeah, no, these are it friends. doesn't happen the, friends those, those of us are in the business know yeah. that that doesn't that happen. the
5: only person that ever did
2: that. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Well, Tom, let's talk about the making of the film. You
2: know, I, I used to run a film union, so I know firsthand that a shoot with a second unit could be difficult to coordinate. How in the world did you create this beautiful,
6: seamless film with more than 40 units? around the world. It was pretty nuts. So I didn't want to do like a crowdsource thing where everybody sends in whatever they want. I wanted something much more controlled than that. I wanted wanted it to be a film that I directed, but I wanted to direct in a very different way. So we spent a lot of time plotting the film out before we hired anybody. And then we gave, like, really kind of micromanagey, fussy (laughs) little requirements about what cameras to use and what stabilization to use, what lenses to use, what f-stop and all this sort of stuff. But then we found all these unbelievable filmmakers, shooters all over the world. Almost nobody said no when we approached them and said, look, we want you to build this little piece of this larger picture. And it was an astonishing adventure. I can't tell you. What it was. You know, there are so many stories, so
2: many vignettes. I, I have my favorite stories, favorite segments. I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite story in the
6: film? Many short pieces. One is almost six minutes long, and that's a group of prisoners in Angola, in, in Angola Indiana, prison yeah. who uh, fa- have no prospect of coming out uh, anytime soon, maybe not ever. And the faith that they conjure, like with yeah. enormous creativity and, and yeah. conviction, I mean, and uh, they that's something freedom, that I—they find, find freedom, freedom through inside it. yeah, that prison—and so I think that's maybe, maybe one of my favorites.
5: There was a woman in Connecticut dying, mm-hmm. and uh, and her thoughts and her very good articulation about her life and the meaning of her life as she's dying and how she's dying, praying for other people—it was a very touching and moving segment. I liked that
2: a lot. What is the ultimate impact that you want this film to have on the viewers? And what impact did it have on you?
5: We know religion and faith are a big part of the majority of people's lives in this world. To celebrate that, to realize that we're all kind of all trying to do the same thing, to try to get closer to God, is a good thing.
2: Well, gentlemen, you did a beautiful job. It's a beautiful film. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for making it. Very Very fun. fun. Thanks
0: for tuning in to Metro Focus.
2: You can take our award-winning program
0: with you wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio and on the NPR One app.